pray. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for everything you've already done for us. We thank you for your presence that is in this place. Ask you to open up eyes and open up hearts. Open up ears to hear exactly what you have to say. Let there be all of you and none of me this morning, Father. And I thank you for wisdom and revelation that it flows freely, unhindered and untouched. And I thank you that our hearts are open, that we really want to change. We really want to be different. And we do that by beholding you. Jesus, we turn our eyes away from this world and we turn them to you right now. We thank you that you are the author and you are the finisher. And that you finished everything for us. So open us up this morning to see you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, we, uh, if you've been here, we've had a series going on called Running with the Giants. And uh, uh, Hannah opened us up with the prophet Isaiah. Basically, running with the giants was just people that we can glean from, if you've seen the little video, that we can glean from and apply today and everything to... Uh, some lessons we can learn. And then Pastor Stephen came last week and talked about, does anyone remember? Peter, exactly. Well, this week, um, I'm going to talk to you about David. And I know David is a big character. How many of you ever heard of David, right? So, uh, but, and my, many of us probably know that David not only was he a giant, he defeated a giant. Everybody ever heard the story about David and Goliath, right? Well, I want you, I want to make it, I'm going to make it real personal today, okay? So go ahead and uh, get ready. Because it's going to be personal. Because, of, you know, because I was asking the question, how does David defeat a giant. Now I want to make this personal to you because I want to talk to you. How do you defeat cancer? How do you feat, defeat um, a financial struggle? How do, do you, how do you defeat debt? How do you defeat any body element, whether it be heart disease, all of this stuff, how is it defeated? Because th many of those things look like giants in front of us. And I could prep you up today and pump you up today, but I want to unzip you today. Because those things are nothing but fruit. And how many of you know a fruit is a byproduct of a root? And so we have to get down to the root of the situation. Because even though David defeated Goliath, you've got to ask yourself, how did David defeat the Goliath? Because the giant was never defeated in front of the crowd. But it was defeated in the field. Goliath was not defeated... The day that David went towards Goliath. He actually that day didn't know he was going to go face a giant. He was actually going just to give his, um, his brother some lunch. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity or a circumstance or something that comes at you. Or in front of you. Or that 
is in your sphere of influence. And you're just... So how did David defeat Goliath? It was in the field. So I want to talk a couple... A little bit about what happens in the field. Or in other words, what le- lessons did David learn in the field? Any, any farmers in here? You've been a farmer? or How many of you know, I want to paint a picture first of the field. There's no crowd in a field. Usually, I used to, um, when I was younger, worked on a cabbage farm. Let me tell you, being out in the field's not fun. When it's 95 degrees outside and we got two tractor and trailer loads of cabbage to get up, yeah, that was harvest time. Harvest time, we, we like harvest time. Harvest time's not fun. It's work. But before that, before the harvest is, you, you're in the field and you got to plant your plants. And let me tell you, the worst job of all is pulling weeds. Pulling weeds is horrible. Especially when you got about 500 acres of cabbage that you got to walk every row and pull weeds up by hand. By the end, you're like, yeah, you go to the grocery store, cabbage is wonderful. You got your coleslaw. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, cabbage ain't fun. But pulling weeds. Pulling weeds. We're going to to unzip each other today. And we're going to ask some questions today. Because I want you to see that at the heart of the fruit that's going on in your life, there's a root. There's something that has to happen in the field. You know, today we live, everyone wants to be on a stage and sing. David got to a point of stage, but his, there's so much more behind the scene that has to take place. That has to take place. Because if not, you'll get up here or on whatever stage you're in, maybe you're leading a business or whatever, you'll get up and, and your product's out there, everything's out there, and, and all of a sudden, because you didn't do any work in the field, it'll fail when it gets up here. Now, I know there's a lot to say about David, but a lot of this is going to play out of a very popular psalm, Psalm 23, because I think that psalm was written in the field. And we're going to read it very carefully. And there's a couple points that go with it. But I want to get down, let's get down to the heart of the situation. Because David, because David's life, yes, he was king. But you know where David started. What was he? A shepherd. He was, they were going to anoint him, find a brother. And all of his brothers, they thought it was what it looked like. But David was out in the, David was out in the field, tending sheep. And that's where Goliath was defeated, actually tending sheep. But anyways, we'll get to that in just a second. Let's look at Psalm 23, and I want to read the first three verses just to start off with. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lesson number one. Intimacy with daddy is developed. When you get down to the core, 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 what God is trying to do and what he was doing with David is, David, I got to develop some intimacy within you, between me and you. And we'll get, I think this is what David would say. I had to learn to relax, let go, and rest in the fact that it's all about him so he can show me who I really was. We live in a very fast-paced society today that whatever you do, don't relax. But accomplish. But the very first thing David did, had to do, was look. The, first he had to see, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Intim, he, God had to develop an intimacy with David, knowing that when Caleb was first born, I seen that as a father, I want to hold him close to my heart. I want to rock him to sleep. I want him to lay on daddy's chest and feel the rhythm of my heart. That presence that is on me is on him. That way when, when his eyes are even closed or when he gets older, he'll know that presence. It's that atmosphere, that presence that he is hooked to, that he's addicted to, that maybe when he gets out 15 and he goes in other directions, he'll realize at the root, daddy held me close. Daddy was fond of me. Daddy knew who I was. He loved me dearly. He never left me. He never forsake me. Daddy was right here. He had to develop an intimacy with the Father what did Jesus say? I only say and do what I hear my father say and do. Jesus spent 30 years for three years of ministry. Three decades. It's backwards, ain't it? We want to be at the top instantly. Microwave society. We want it now, our way. But God, he's got to, there's steps, there's a process. And one of the number one things is he's got to develop intimacy. Because he knows you're going into a battle, but if you don't have intimacy, you're going to be swayed by the crowd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's got, to, he's got to get that out of you, me. Is that, Josh, I'm enough. I'm the only one you need. My presence is all you need, as Moses said. You can go into the promised land, but if your presence isn't there, I'm not going. You're all out. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not need money. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I shall not lack. Because the Lord... It's not a fruit thing, it's a root thing. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He's saying, lay down, be still. I'm good, I'm leading you into green pastures. Lay down. 
What else, else happens is intimacy. He's like, you got to take the mask off. We got to take the mask off and get honest. One of the number one keys to break intimacy is dishonesty. The one number one keys that foster intimacy is you have to be honest. And it might look ugly. Because what did Paul say in Romans 7 at the end of Romans 7? And I think this happened in Paul's three days after he was blinded on the road to Damascus. He said, oh wretched man that I am. Paul got to the inside himself and said, my gosh, that's ugly. I need help. God had to get Paul to the end of himself. He had to get David to the end of himself where he'll finally lay his pride down and listen. He wanted to show him how good he was, but as long as his effort was still going and going and going, he couldn't show him nothing because his eyes was always on him. That's the number one thing do you realize that the enemy did back in the garden with Adam and Eve? He came to them to disrupt the intimacy in which they had with God. That was his number one tactic. Was to say, do you realize, very first thing after Eve ate of the fruit is that she seen herself different. She seen herself naked for the first time. And what did she do? Cover. And we cover ourselves with this mask, and this mask, and this mask, and this mask. Because we fear being exposed. But with God, the first thing that has to happen is you got to be exposed. And this gets to know the nature of God. The nature of God is not out there trying to beat it out of you. No, He's a loving Father. And He said, you got to see what's in you first. But before I can show you what's in you, you got to take that thing off that you've been walking in your whole life. It's not to hurt you. It's to help you. It really is. Even though Eve was naked the whole time, that was the first time she seen herself naked. And the whole process of Christianity from Adam and Eve to that point is to try to get them back uh, exposed to God. So that first lesson, and I want to ask this question to you. I'm going to unzip a little bit. Don't ask you to answer it. Answer it to yourself. Because I know the Holy Spirit's in here talking to you. But I want to ask you this. How many choices are made out of feeling guilty? I think this is one of the questions in the field that he's going to ask. Guilty choices are all about you your reputation, and whether or not someone will be happy with you. 
We've all done it. Or we might all still be doing it. I'm sure we are. Guilt of the past. How can God forgive me of this? And that's what he's trying to do is get your eyes off of you and onto him. Because really he's already done it for you. How about this? Guilt of your kids. How many things do we do out of feeling guilty for our kids? Let me let you in on a little secret. I opened it for me the other day. Kids are naturally selfish. (laughs) They do not have the nature of God in them. Big eye opener. Because we think they're all... No. That's why Jesus said you got to be born again. When they come out... Those are some selfish little things. And as a parent, you know many times your job is to beat the selfishness out of them. In a loving way. Because you want them, you know that whenever they get older, if they constantly have their eyes on themselves... They're acting like the devil. Come on, it's the, truth. the devil is the one that invented selfishness and pride. It was all about me. I want to be God. I want to eat now. I want to do this now. I want to go here. I don't want this. This person has this. Paula East, my mom, beat this out of me in a good way. That's where the comparison traps. I tried that. Compa- you know, comparison is a trap. It's a trap. And my mom, I remember one time I said, Mom, I want a motorcycle. And she said, Nope. <laughs> and I said, Well, I said, and this is my best friend, Ryan's got a motorcycle. He said, She said, I don't care. I'm your mama and you're my kid and that's it and you ain't getting one. And she stood her, and, well, that was the end of that. You know, there's, you gotta know her, there was no persuasion. And she didn't feel guilty about it. She didn't feel ashamed about it. But how many times when our kids say this, been there, done it, me too, that I feel guilty because I'm not getting my kid, or I'm like, you see where kids can use guilt? And it's all over their stupid selfishness. All right. All right. All right, I'm going, to, I'm going to unzip somebody else. How about guilting your spouse into getting your way and trying to mold them into who you want them to be? <clears throat> I've done this. I'm telling you. I had to take that mask off. You, it might make you cry for three days. Because it's ugly. If your heart's right and you want to do it, I mean, it's going to be a little bit ugly. And then you realize, oh, my lands. I have been trying to mold my spouse by the tone I have towards them, by the words I say to them. I've manipulated them. And, you know, we all do it out of love. Well, if, no, no, you want your own selfish way. 
This is some of the things that happen in the field. Because what he's trying to do is, I had, like David said, I had to learn to relax, let go, and rest in the fact that it's all about him. You know, when it comes to me and her, my biggest it's not about me. I want her to have eyes that see him. I want my eyes to see him. It's all about him. It's not about me. But first he has to do that because he's going to show you who you really are. You know, Paul said, I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I that live, but I have to die first. But in dying, he's, gonna, he's trying to t- tell us and show us that this is the most intimate, loving relationship that you will ever see and feel. All right, I've got to move on. But. Number two, Psalm 23, 4 to 5. Let's keep on reading down this psalm. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley... Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Where do you think David, in that field where he got to listen to the voice of God, or he got to learn. How about that? Don't you say. Th- We've read the story. David on this hill. Goliath on this hill. Right? And what was in between? He, David knew before he ever got to Goliath. And I just picture this. I, I use my imagination. that As David was running at Goliath. He had to go through the valley. And up to the hill. And he went, in his mind, he went all the way back when the Lord spoke to him. He said, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. You know, that just started playing in his mind because when you got a recognition of God, when you got an encounter with God and he pulls it back up, it brings the reality of God back up to the forefront and you realize, what did he say? You are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow death I will fear no evil for you are with me circumstances are always going to try to get your eyes to see that God's not with you but in the field beforehand you realize that God is with you the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to preach the gospel to cast out devils to heal the sick the spirit of the Lord is upon me and that's where David in the field he found out that God's with me and you got to have your, if I could say anything, you got to have your own personal relationship with Him. Their relationship with Him will not help you. It's the truth. Not to downgrade them, that's not the point. It's when God speaks to you that change occurs. That your heart's transformed. 
is when He speaks to you and you see His faithfulness and you step out on the water like Peter did towards Him. He got a bigger revelation than those that sat in a boat because He had His own experience with Him. And so when you walk into these things, you can say on the inside with a confidence, God is with me. God's with me. I will fear no evil. I will fear no report. Cancer, you have nothing. And I'm believing that in this atmosphere right here, it's dissolving in your body right now because all it is is mind transformation. Mind renewal. Because David's mind had to be renewed in the field. And when you begin to see this, you're like, it has no place to hold on you anymore. Water off a duck's back because you see the goodness of God. This one really hit me this morning. Go ahead and put that quote up, Carson. Goliath was first defeated in me in the field alone tending sheep, not outside in front of me on the mountain in front of a crowd. Uh, pop up our first Peter 5, 6 and 7. Goliath was first defeated in thee. Look at this. Humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. David's time wasn't yet. But in that field, what was he doing? Humbling himself under the mighty hand of God. Look what, he, look what David had to learn to do. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. How many times are we taking our cares to other people instead of to God? We're not designed to carry the care. Let's get real. When we call somebody with drama, I know we want to unload, but we're not designed to carry the care and that person that what are we trying to do cast our care onto our friends they're not designed to carry it that's in, get back to this intimacy and learn to cast that care onto him knowing that he cares for you and that's the de because he gives grace to the humble He's going to exalt you in due time. He's saying, you're too heavy. And when you cast it on someone else, guess what? They take it around and cast it on somebody else and then somebody else and then somebody. And it keeps going and then it comes all the way back to you. Goliath was first defeated in me, I think David would say in the field alone, tending sheep, not outside in front of a mountain on a crowd. David, you, you've read the story. Saul tried to put his armor on him. This ain't work. I can't wear these. 
And, and then he said, you know what? I know God's with me. Because when I was tending the sheep one time, and the lion came, and I was tending the sheep one time, and the bear came, and he put in a remembrance, because in the field you're all alone. Anybody ever stayed in the field before? You ever hung out in the field overnight? You just, I just picture David sitting there. You know, he's tending sheep. And he's not there just an hour. Yeah. He's there days. And it gets dark at night. And the coyotes come out at night. The bears come out at night. The lions come out at night. But David was a musician too. And I just picture him, he got a little strum going or a, a rhythm in his head. A psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And where did he get this? God was talking to him. But he had to get quiet. You know how quiet it was? In the... We hate quietness today. We call it awkward. But it's in that still, you know, what does the Lord say? Be still and know I'm God. Why? Because he wants to speak to you. The things you're trying to figure out in this information-loaded society can be solved very easily if we just learn to stop, be still, know he's God, and stay. Stay right there until he speaks. This goes back to the field time. You got to be okay being alone in the field. And finally, number three here. Read the rest of Psalm um, 23. Last verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, I've unzipped you. I ain't going to leave you there, okay? <laughs> because that was the purpose of it. Because here's what David found out. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There was one powerful word that I seen when David went to the battlefield. Here's what he said. He's... I forgot what it was. In, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But he said, Who will take away the reproach? It's that simple. Here's a whole army of trained soldiers that were defeated by one guy's big mouth. And David gets there. And what does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What does he go? He goes to his covenant. And you got to see in the field, God's just trying to show you your covenant with him. You know what a covenant, a covenant is binding, not separating, not a, not a thing we have today where we can prenup this and prenup that in case this doesn't. No, a covenant was with blood. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's not in covenant with the living God. And I am. God's with me. 
So anything that comes to defy the armies of the living God, I'm going to take his head off. By the power of the Lord. He took his head off with his own sword. But here, here look, he put pressure on his covenant. When you come against cancer, you got to know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. You cannot live in me. If God's for me, who can be against me? This financial situation has to stop right now because I am a righteous son and daughter of God. Romans 4. Romans 4, verses 6 to 8. You got to see. Just. Is that the. Yeah, do the New King James Version. I want you to check this out. Just as David, talking about David, describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. He says, quote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. At the root of everything, we think there's still a sin problem, but there's no longer a sin problem. We're naked before Him. We're righteous and whole and complete in Him. Because it's not about us anymore. It's all about what Jesus has done. Look at this in, in the mirror translation. The Mirror Bible, same verse. David confirms this principle when he speaks of the blessedness of the one who discovers approval without, re whatever that word is, to something specific that they had done to qualify themselves. Oh, what happy progress one makes with the weight of sin and guilt removed. And one slate wiped clean. How blessed is the one who receives a receipt instead of an invoice for their sins. See, just unzipping you to get some stuff out, to put some stuff in you. Because he wants to show you who you are. In Him now. The work's been finished. He's seated at the right hand of God. Seated in heavenly places far above all this. And we're seated with Him. And it's time for us as the church and as sons and daughters of God to realize who we are now and the stuff that can't attach themselves to our body or attach themselves to our accounts. Throw this at you. Roman, uh, blah, 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 blah. 1 John 4.17 Love what did the father want to do in intimacy? He just wanted David to see, I love you. I don't know how much simpler it is, that I love and care for you and I'm always going to be with you. I'm holding Caleb. All I want him to know is daddy loves you. No matter what, daddy loves Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because, golly, this will mess your mind up big. As he is, so are we in this world. So you got to ask yourself, well, how's Jesus? Is Jesus sick? No. Is Jesus broke? No. 
And it might look different on the outside, but you start to, that's why in the field, you're getting transformed to view yourself the way God sees you. He sees you in Christ. He doesn't see you in your old identity. He sees you as a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Everything's brand spanking new. You're a Christ being. Jesus says, it's better that I go so that I can release the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit inside of you that's inside of me. Now, there's not one Christ we're the king of kings now. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. It says, but now, now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the reproach, the reproach is gone. The reproach is gone. And that, uh, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off. If you feel, feel far off, he came and preached peace to those who felt far off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit directly to the Father. The reproach has been gone. Jesus was David. That sin, that weight, that guilt, that shame, that condemnation, he dealt with it. And that's opening our eyes to see that we're perfect in his sight. Stand up with me, please, and bow your heads.